San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right, good evening. My name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFMB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. If you download the app for 760 KFMB or tune in radio, you can hear this show as it airs on any device, including your tablet. Uh, also, you can get the podcast commercial-free on iymoney.com and listen to them on Bluetooth in your car, and I'll talk about that in a minute, Richard. Now time to introduce the main man of the hour. He's a CPA extraordinaire, an accomplished marathon runner, best-selling author, lecturer, philanthropist, and a family office expert advising several high-net-worth families. His name is Richard Musio. Richard, good evening. How are you tonight? I'm great, Joe. I wanted to wish a belated happy birthday to my daughters. They both have the same birthday, July 10. Okay. One was a week early, one was a week as, late. As, Mia, as, Mia and Demi. As is my, was my mother's, uh, 87th, all on July 10. Yeah, your mother. So belated happy birthday to your mother as well. And why not ha- Hank Bauer? Happy birthday, July 15, whenever, okay. that, whenever that occurs. <laughs> well, July 15th, is, that's today when we're airing the show. Oh, okay. But, <laughs> but anyway, last night for fun, you know, my younger daughter Demi's up in San Jose, but we went out. Okay. We went out to the movies with my older daughter, Mia, and we saw a hilarious action comedy called The Baby Driver. Baby uh, Driver. Produced by Edgar Wright. But um, uh-huh. it's got the best soundtrack in history of any movie yeah. in history. It's got the best soundtrack. Well, I it's will. It's all the songs from the 60s and 70s. Better than The Wrecking Crew with 105? I don't know. It was better. I mean, it's just amazing. All right. So anyway, Baby I'll Driver. Ch- but it, it's not it. very real. Anything with Kevin Spacey in it is not going to be realistic. Okay. But it was a blast. All right. Now, I know you've never touched a drop of coffee in your life, right, Richard? I may have touched it, like handing <laughs> it to my wife, but have I never you? drank it. Right. All right. Well, I've got uh, good news and bad news. Good news good for me. me. Yeah, there's yeah. a study out, and you see that bolsters the claim that uh-huh. coffee is good for you, and uh, I guess there's uh, better longevity and, and more resistance to cancers and things like that, probably with the polyphenols, and maybe it's just taking breaks during the day is good for us, and it's, that's the uh, benefic- benefit. Okay. Um, we have in studio with us one of our sponsors, great friends of the show. He's a cost segregation expert, and I see him smiling over here, but Joel Greshkin, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Richard, that is a great movie, by the way. Did so, you see it? Yes. Yeah. Fabulous. It's, it's hilarious. Yeah. And, and do you want to weigh in on the coffee issue, Joel? Because you read that as well. You're a coffee drinker, uh, right? I am a coffee drinker, uh, three or four cups every morning. All right. And Richard, it's it, decaf. It works with decaf as well. So, you know, there's still time. I don't, I don't like hot drinks. Okay. <laughs> hey, we, cold we, brew is the big deal these days, too, so. You're not going to escape it, Richard. Come on. No, I am. <laughs> but we also have another guest on the line. Absolutely. He's an author. He's a real estate expert. He's an investor, an uh, expert in commercial and um, residential real estate. And he is on the line. It's Alex Goldstein. How are you, Alex? I'm great. Great to be here, guys. Right. Uh, sorry to disappoint you, but I'm drinking tea right now. Okay. <laughs> no, that's fine, too. I, I'm a big tea. I like green tea myself. Hey, Alex, where, where are you in Arizona? I am in Scottsdale, Arizona, okay. and I am drinking tea of the green variety myself. I just, right. I just drove nearby. We drove home from our house in Durango, Colorado last week, spent one night in lovely Sedona, Arizona, and mm-hmm. then drove home through the desert where it only topped 116 degrees. Wow. <laughs> how, long, how long a ride is that, Richard? It seemed like all of eternity. But it, was, <laughs> it was about seven hours. Okay. <laughs> you know what I like about Arizona, besides being able to carry around a gun? 
Uh, but seriously, what I like about Arizona is the 75 mile an hour speed limits. Now that is fun when you're driving an AMG. <laughs> and did did they did they? Um, oh, it was Nevada, I guess. Did they just pass Alex? Did they pass the uh, recreational use of marijuana yet, or is that uh, just narrowly fell? That narrowly failed here. All right. Okay. Well, I'm sure at some point it'll pass. I guess Nevada was the one that it just passed in, right? And I heard they're already yeah, running. yeah. Nevada decided that they didn't have enough sins. So <laughs> <laughs> they added that. <laughs> I heard they're already running out. <laughs> yeah, really? really? Hey, Alex, uh, let's get down to business. You wrote a great book. Tell us about well, it. Thank let, you. Well, let's get into his childhood. But I, I want to talk about the book first, then his background. All so right. people know what the book is. We'll go backwards. Okay. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, so the book I wrote is No Nonsense Real Estate. And what I was aiming to do was to create uh, something for people as a reference and as a tool that they could use to guide them through buying and selling real estate. And the objective was to have something that would be a quick enough read that people would actually read it, not try to be an encyclopedia, but still give them enough so that they can ask the right questions and not make the big mistakes. So it's the book that I wish I had before I, I did my first real estate deal. Hmm. And how, how did you get into real estate? Was that from day one, like out of college, or did you have another career before that? No, I, I had other uh, careers before real estate. Like a lot of people in real estate kind of came to it after doing some other things. I was uh, actually a bond trader mm. and a management consultant to the pharmaceutical industry earlier in my career. And I had uh, also uh, built an insurance company uh, that sold insurance uh, through e-commerce. So that was my background. And I came to Arizona in 2003 and just kind of fell in love with the place and the real estate here, and it's been all I've done ever since. Gotcha. I see you were an honors graduate of Northwestern University in beautiful Evanston, Illinois, right? That is correct. So quite a cultural difference between Illinois and, um, and Arizona. Born and raised where, uh, Alex? Uh, New York, Long Island. Okay, so you're, you're like me. You made it across the country. I went... <laughs> You, I actually, I went. To, I was raised Midwest, schooled in the East, and, and lived in the West. So we're on the same path, I guess, as far as uh, like geez. most of our guests. <laughs> what, what I've noticed is there's a lot of people that start in the East and Midwest and then go to the West, but there's very few who start in the West and go to the Midwest and the East. That's a much rarer move. Yeah, or, exactly. Or they try it for a while, then they come back. <laughs> We all, we, we've all had, Richard and, and Joe, you all have had friends that have left and come back, right? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they realize uh, the lifestyle counts for a lot, so quality of life. It does. Yeah. So, Alex, what, what got you interested in real estate? Moving to Arizona, or did you have some interest before that? Well, I had been interested in, in real estate as an investment, you know, okay. for my time in bonds, and I also trade a lot of options. So I was always interested in real estate as a different asset class, and at the time that I came to Arizona in 2003, I thought there were some particularly interesting opportunities. So I was just evaluating the market, looking for opportunities, and I, you know, my timing was pretty fortuitous uh, at the start, anyways. Yeah, yeah, really. That was five years, six years before 08 and 09. Um, what, what kind of property did you start with? Residential, commercial, multifamily? I started with residential properties. Okay. Uh, a lot of the deals I first got into were uh, basically new construction deals that other developers uh, already had in process. And at the time, the standard for 
uh, locking up those properties were, were very, very low. Mm-hmm. So for $500 and pretty much no other commitment, you could control hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of real estate. So mm-hmm. to me, it looked like it was basically the world's greatest option contract. And, uh, and for several years, it was. And um, I also branched out from there into building my own uh, you know, homes and doing development deals, uh, offices. And then we had talked briefly about cost segregation. I did one of those studies on one of my buildings. So, um, yeah, so I kind of ran the gamut in terms of types of properties from, from land, homes, office buildings, you name it. So, Alex, the real key is uh, uh, is financing with real estate, right? I mean, uh, you can know, know everything, a ton about real estate per se, but if, if you don't know anything about financing, you're in trouble, right? Yeah, the smartest proverb I've heard about real estate is there is no bad land, there's only bad debt. And if, if, you, uh, if you look at it that way, I think you'll never go wrong. Okay. We'll, we'll talk later about good debt and bad debt. Um, I also know some real estate investors who believe in no debt. So we'll, we'll throw that in, I guess, in between good debt and bad right. debt, <clears throat> the concept of having none whatsoever. Um, Absolutely. Now you, quick, quick question, since we have no wealth advisors in the room. Do you, do you feel that the wealth advisory industry does a good job of helping investors with real estate, or do you feel that because they, they come from a stock, bond, mutual fund kind of um, background that they've basically been useless? Well, I, I think that there's an interesting gap in uh, people's ability to get good advice on real estate mm-hmm. because most of the people in the real estate profession don't really know much about financial planning or the other available asset classes. Mm-hmm. And most of the people that are in financial planning and wealth management don't really know much about real estate. And importantly, on either side of the fence, they don't get compensated <laughs> if people go outside of their sure. specialty. So the sure. bond guys aren't making any money when you buy real estate, and the real estate guys aren't making any money when you go off and buy stocks. But Alex, so we, have to, we have to pause. We're take right, a quick break. Yeah, we got to pause right there. We'll be back with Alex, we'll be back with Alex Goldstein, bestselling author in real estate, and Joel Grushkin, cost expert, right after these words. Hang on. All right, we're back with Alex Goldstein calling in from Arizona, real estate expert and best-selling author, also in studio, cost segregation expert, uh, Joel Greshkin is with us as well. So, Richard, where do you want to, you want to finish the thought with Alex? Yeah, or? Alex was talking about how people don't get compensated except for the things that they do, so bond or stock managers typically stay away from real estate because there's no way for them to make money. Real estate investors typically don't understand financial assets that well. So, Alex, did you want to finish that thought? Yeah, yeah. So it's just I think it's a bit of a structural uh, set of incentives there where nobody is compensated to really look at the full picture. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I try to do with my clients. And I'm fortunate because I have that background, um, you know, in other asset classes that I can help them take a look. And so what I tell people is if you're going to make an investment of any kind, you should be looking at your total financial picture. And it's amazing how many people will launch into real estate investments without really understanding how it fits into their overall financial plan and what kind of a return they really need to get from the real estate in order to meet their goals. And when they don't do that sort of planning, um, they wind up usually either buying the wrong type of property or over-leveraging or under-leveraging to meet their goals. Agreed. The other thing I think that people don't realize about real estate, and Joel Grushkin, maybe you can comment on this, unlike owning stocks, bonds, mutual funds, real estate's an actual business that either requires you to spend time or to go out and hire people to spend time for you, which costs money. 
to operate and manage. And Joel, have you run into some folks who, for example, have decided to get into real estate and didn't really realize what they were getting into? Well, I, I think that's, <clears throat> that's a critical point. And Richard, in fact, you and I did a meeting recently mm -hmm. with uh, an individual that is uh, selling a business and uh, is going to focus full-time on real estate. Now, he's, he's done some deals uh, over the last several years, and they've been successful. Uh, but he has been smart enough to seek out advice uh, to look at his overall picture. And, and that's just critical. I agree completely with what you said, Alex. Well, Richard said it, but we can ask Alex his opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, have you seen people make the same mistake? They decide to buy a couple of single-family homes and become a landlord, and they don't realize um, that it's, it could potentially consume their free time? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, an orthopedic surgeon once said that the best thing that ever happened to their industry was yoga. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that the best thing that ever happened you know, to uh, the single family investment industry is reality television. You know, right. You've got all these people who think that they understand it because they've seen the 30 minute version. And much like the people who shouldn't be practicing yoga who get overzealous, yeah. you know, they get hurt in that process. What do you think of this uh, buy them and flip them uh, uh, process? Uh, doesn't work out for everybody, does it? No, it doesn't. Um, I mean, it can be lucrative, but. I think that nobody should be dabbling in it. If they're going to do it, it needs to be something they're going to do full time and, you know, really have the resources because otherwise think about how late to the game you are just in terms of getting the, the crews and the contractors to work for you when they're already hyper busy. Why are they going to work with somebody who's coming in this late in the cycle and who has less experience and less financial resources? Mm. So by definition, you're going to be getting, you know, the lesser crews, the lesser contractors, which means more headaches, longer turnaround times, and more costs. Mm -hmm. Hey, can we back up in time? You mentioned uh, in the early 2000s in Arizona, you could tie up tons and tons of real estate with $500 or $1,000 deposits, and that worked for some time. Well, how did that work, yeah. and then how, how did things change, either for better or for worse? Well, I think at the time when I got started, there wasn't that much speculation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a real estate contract of that variety, I mean, for the most part, the builders just assumed, and probably historically it bore out, that the contracts would be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And so they were really looking to be able to present to the bank and say, hey, look, we've got all this interest. And the banks weren't particularly specific about how much commitment was required in order to get the deal funded. Mm. And so as speculation got more intense and then certainly after the crash you know that's getting vetted a lot more heavily so you'll see in a lot of new development projects they want a lot more skin in the game and they do a lot more due diligence and that's being imposed on them by the financial institutions that are funding that development yeah it makes sense and that's exactly what's what you see out here in california as well and i think that's a change for the better obviously um, to the extent it helps. Uh, yeah, it gives, it gives more stability right. and uh, reduces the, the level of speculation, for right. sure. Exactly. No question. And that's a good thing. So you had mentioned debt. Over leverage, under leverage. Some folks don't like leverage at all. And I'll ask Joel to chime in, too. But Alex, what, what are your thoughts on how to use debt with real estate in general? Well, I'll give you an example. You know, I had a, a client who came to me 
who had been um, advised by a couple of very large commercial real estate brokerages, groups that do, you know, billions of dollars a year. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was being advised to take an inheritance and to leverage it up from, say, it was about $9 million into $30 million worth of real estate. Now, they told her to do that, I suspect, because, you know, they'd earn more. Mm -hmm. And also, they probably drink their own Kool-Aid, and they're very bullish on commercial real estate. Sure. Well, the reality is I just said to her, well, how much income do you want to make from this? She gave me a number, and I said, well, then you do not need any leverage whatsoever. Okay. There's no reason to take on leverage since you can meet your income goal. And as simple as that sounds, that conversation is not happening uh, on a lot of deals. And you have billions and billions of dollars changing hands before anybody has really thought through why are we getting involved in this in the first place. Yeah, and then the other factor I think that's very important that frequently, frequently doesn't get discussed is what is your time horizon or time frame? How long do you want to own something? Obviously, if you're flipping things, you don't want to own it for very long at all, but other people want to buy a piece of real estate and own it for the next 30 years. Yeah, time, time is a huge factor. Time is the factor I think that is uh, the most underrated and, and under-discussed. Um, everybody's focused on how much it costs and the money, and that's obviously critical, but you're right. Time ultimately is even more important than money. Yeah, as far as investing, Alex, you had a chapter on uh, avoid the top five mistakes. Was, was that one? Of, did we already cover a couple of them already, or, or are there others that you'd like to discuss? Certainly leverage and time, I think, are the most important ones for people to keep in mind. And um Anybody who's interested in, in knowing more, I'd be happy to you know send them that chapter for free. Okay. Sure. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, Joe, would you like to weigh in on any of this? Yeah, I, I think one of the first things we ask a client uh, is what the t time horizon is. What do they really want to do with the property, and how long are they going to hold it? Because mm -hmm. there's certain things you can do if you're going to stay in it for say three years or more, but there's other things you don't do if, if you're going to be in and out of it quickly. Yeah, and so, I want to talk about that after the break because it certainly relates directly to cost segregation, which is a fancy name for depreciation expense. And we'll talk more about that after the break. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of mistakes that investors make, I think um, I frequently see people not even having a time horizon in mind when they buy a piece of real estate. They just assume that things always go up, but that's not right, right, Alex? I mean, there's things called cycles. Absolutely. I mean, ultimately, the, the leverage question comes down to time because, you know, as we said earlier, there is no bad land. There's only bad debt. Over the long term, real estate is going to appreciate. They're not making any more of it. And so, you know, that's the long term that's going to happen. But in between, I mean, there can be vicious cycles and your ability to hang in there may be dependent on the short-term cycle. So if you don't have a long-term plan, if you're over-leveraged, you're in trouble. Um, conversely, though, if there's a great opportunity in front of you and you can't make your financial goals by buying property without leverage, mm -hmm. well, then you should be leveraging to take advantage of those opportunities to make your financial goal. So, you know, there is, you know, we're, we're used to seeing the horror stories that happen in a down cycle with over-leverage. But, you know, under leverage has a cost, too, um, if you're not taking advantage of a great opportunity that can really benefit you. Yeah, especially when interest rates are low and they have been remaining relatively low. Yeah. 
And, and probably, Absolutely. And they may for some time. Who knows? It's Let's see about his websites, nononsensebook.com. We're going to come back with Alex Goldstein, real estate expert and author, right after this, along with Joel Grushkin. Hang on. We'll be right back. We're back with the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life, and this is the time where Richard likes to thank our sponsors. Big thank you to our sponsors, as always, at the top of the list is UBS with Michael Coranta. Could not do the show without UBS. Also, our favorite CPAs on the planet. We love CPAs. We have more than one of them. We've got two. We've got Jason Kruger, CPA with Signature Analytics, a great CFO service firm, and then more traditional CPAs, Polito Epic CPAs with Don Epic and Paul Polito. Of course, our great friend Joel Grushkin in studio with us tonight, Cost Segregation Initiatives, helping real estate owners improve their cash flow. I know all this money those sponsors help you make. You can bank it at Mechanics Bank. Mechanics Bank, a great regional bank out of Orange County. Sean Puckett, of course, heads up the San Diego regional office, Mechanics Bank, specializes in working with families in the real estate business as well as wealthy families and family offices. Also, Hub International, great employee benefits firm. Boy, you talk about an area that's up in the air. Do we have health care reform happening or do we not? I don't know. Go ask your favorite Republican. Hub International will help you navigate the ever-changing field of employee benefits. Also, the LG Experience and the Lombardi Group helping wealth advisors make heroes out of CPAs to the CPA's very best clients. Upcoming guest, Paul Hines. Paul, of course, heads up Hearthstone Private Wealth Management and is the catalyst <coughs> Excuse me, here in San Diego behind SeniorSafeAndSound.org helping to prevent financial abuse of the elderly. Also, Michelle St. Clair, Elite Lifestyle Management, great concierge service, helping those of us who have no time get things done, from simple things like travel arrangements to more complicated things like getting fishing licenses in Cuba. Elite Lifestyle Management with Michelle St. Clair. And don't worry, Michelle, your opening day tickets to Del Mar are supposed to have been delivered to your office. Please confirm back on that. Also, Brenda Geiger, Geiger Law Office. Brenda specializes in asset protection and estate planning. Again, Geiger Law Office. Now, a lot of our listeners, Joe, love us so much they skip dinner on a Saturday night just to listen to us. So if they're getting hungry, what can they, what can they do? Well, they can get over to Very Good Food Foundation. Um, they've got a great website. They do great programs, foodie programs, all year long. And uh, it's headed up by Michelle chickarelli Lyric. And, of course, we have the Very Good Night Dinner coming up in September. That's right. And then also there's Lestat's Coffee Houses. There's three locations now, open 24-7, 365. Uh, always great food, great people watching, and uh, great beverages as well. And I know a lot of these sponsors have been working with you with great success for many years, right, Richard? In fact, um, had uh, lunch with one of our great friends in Durango, Colorado, who we've been together for almost 30 years. How about that? So I think I'm getting old. Yeah. <laughs> that's like three decades. Anyway, if you'd like more information about um, our show, there's a, uh, iymoney.com is the website. There's a sponsor tab across the top of the page and drop-down menu. You can learn about any or all of our sponsors. Uh, all their information is right there, and we're very glad to have them all. A lot been I think you don't know how to become a sponsor of this great show. Yeah. Guaranteed to get you some good business. Yeah, there's a media kit there. Absolutely. And um, most of our sponsors have been with us uh, since day one, October. We're going of on six years. Yeah, October 2011, yeah, which is fun. pretty terrific. Time flies when you're happy. By the way, I want to mention, Richard, did you yeah. ever listen to our show uh, via podcast in your car using Bluetooth? It comes through just like radio. Yes, uh, I have. It's very cool to do that. And there's a very cool app called Pocket Casts, and you can uh, load in your favorite uh, podcast, including ours. And, of course, we're free on iTunes. I always neglect to mention that. We're on iTunes as well as the website. 
as well as the KFMB page. But in any in any event, let's get back to Alex Goldstein and Joel Greshkin in studio here. And uh, uh, Alex, quick question for you. Then I want to ask a question of Joel. Um, the other thing I think a lot of uh, would-be real estate investors don't realize is there's a lot of competition for deals. And in many cases, if you're a small investor, you are out competing against people who have more assets, more experience, more relationships, more everything in the business than you do. And I know a lot of people, that thought's never even crossed their mind. Have you, have you seen that as well? Yeah, I think new investors, uh, I mean, look, they don't have experience and there's a little bit of naivety. The fact of the matter is that deals are rarer than money, you know. Mm -hmm. So a really great deal is always going to find money to get completed. Um, so you have money that's looking for deals. And I think when people are evaluating a deal, they should probably ask themselves, why does this opportunity exist? Why is it being given to me? Uh, because like Warren Buffett says, if you're you know, sitting down to the poker table for the first time and you don't know who the patsy is, you're the patsy. <laughs> look to your left, look to your right. That's right. It's not them, it's you, right? <laughs> exactly. But, the, but that point leading to a question here for Joel Grushkin, um, obviously cash flow is important to probably every real estate investor I've ever known. So how does cost segregation help there? Well, basically, uh, what COSEG does is gives you the ability to change how you depreciate your commercial property. So rather than doing straight-line depreciation where on a typical commercial building, IRS says it has a 39-year life, you get equal parts uh, every year once you've backed the land value out, uh, on COSEG, we take a set of plans, break a building down into five-year, seven-year, 15-year property, the remainder being 39, or if it's residential, 27 and a half years. You get to accelerate the depreciation uh, more in line with what the true useful lives of the various elements of the property are, which means you're going to pay less tax uh, and have greater cash flow. And that's two great benefits if you own real estate, pay less tax have greater cash flow. Alex, of course, real estate in the Internal Revenue Code, there are a lot of things in there that are designed to help real estate investors, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, real estate has uh, amongst the best tax goodies of, of anything that you can get involved in. And uh, I was frankly surprised that we didn't lose more of those goodies, mm -hmm. uh, you know, since the last crash. Um, but, you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, we'll continue to enjoy terrific tax benefits, and I think that cost segregation is a terrific tool, and it's, you know, very underutilized. Not nearly enough people know about it who should know about it. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And then, of course, 1031 exchanges, you can sell a piece of real estate, so to speak, but instead of pocketing the cash, you can exchange into another piece of property and pay no tax on your gain, which is a great technique. And then, of course, out here in California, community property state, you can die and get a step up in basis. Joel Gruskin, even though you're not a tax guy, I know you work for a tax firm, what, what's a step up in basis? A step up in basis basically means that uh, when property, if someone passes away and the property gets passed on to the heirs, uh, there is the ability or actually necessity to have an appraisal done and mark the value of that property up to the market value. That, that becomes the new income tax cost. Absolutely. We start depreciating all over again. <laughs> so just keep on dying. <laughs> and, and, of course, when you get in Warren Buffett's league, you, you, you give all $100 billion away when you die. So how about that? Well, and when, when you do that, there's no recapture whatsoever. Yeah. No, that's the beauty. Actually, it's going to be a 10-year period that he's going to give it all. Not, he's going to keep 1%. I just saw this great documentary. Alex, you must be a, a Warren Buffett fan as well, huh? 
Oh, yeah. Been you know, reading him uh, since college. Yeah. You know what he says is his secret to happiness and longevity and everything else? He go, he says, do what you love to do with people you like to be around. Boy, is that rocket science? Boy, I mean, <laughs> too bad. Too bad more people can't do that. But, uh, I mean, that's it, right? Just do what you love to do. You know, it's, Absolutely. Yeah, go, Joe. What? It's interesting that, that actually uh, in the last year or so, the some of these tax benefits have actually improved rather than going the other way with the uh, – uh, the PATH Act and, and what's called uh, qualified improvement property. Mm-hmm. In fact, the IRS just this week clarified one point. There was a question uh, where if you had a building and uh, you were putting the building in service and then you did some improvements to it, whether or not you could immediately take bonus depreciation on those improvements. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea being that the building supposedly had to have been put in service. Well, let's say you put the building in service, which means you put it up for rent. That's considered putting it in service. So any of the build-out you do qualifies for bonus depreciation, and that was a, a point of contention for the last six months. Yeah, that was good news. And then the other area where there's been some very favorable results in news is with regard to what we call repairs and replacements, clarification of what can you write off as an expense mm-hmm. versus what do you have to capitalize, and, and what can you write off as an expense if you happen to put a new thing in like tear out an old roof and put a new one on, right, Joe? Yeah, the biggest issue with that is having the ability to be able to show what the value of that component of the building was when you first acquired it. Right. I think the other good news is a lot of judges own real estate, so <laughs> <laughs> so I think the deck is a little stacked sometimes. But It may be. Yeah. <laughs> it may be. That'd be an interesting study. I wonder if anyone you know, knows. There's that. reasons why real estate is favored in the income tax code. It's because, yeah. you know, like when John McCain was asked, how many houses do you own? He didn't even know. So that? many. One of the well, his, wife. Arizona. his wife owns them. He doesn't know. That's right. His wife. Anyway, we'll come back with Alex Goldstein, real estate uh, expert and author. Also, Joel Greshkin, cost segregation expert in studio with us. We'll be right back. Hang on. All right. We're back with Alex Goldstein in Arizona, real estate expert and author. And also Joel Grushkin in studio, cost segregation expert as well. Well, we're getting smart. We are getting smart. And that great movie that I mentioned. Yes. So where's Baby you... Driver, that reminds me a lot of Get Smart in many places. You got it. Uh, where'd you want to pick it up, Richard? We said we were going to talk a little bit about negotiation. Right. I the know five, there's five critical elements of a successful negotiation. So but people uh, don't realize with real estate, it's not like just going out and buying a stock. If you want to go out and buy IBM today, you just call up your stockbroker and he gives you the price or she gives you the price. And if that's good enough, you pick it up. There's no real negotiation. You can't say, well, no, no, I want 20% off. Matter of fact, usually you, sometimes you don't get the price you want. You don't even get the price you want because it depends on. Because the there's uh, technology out there exactly. with some nasty Nobody. people doing that, right, Joel? That's true. <laughs> Very true. But but in uh, real estate, Alex, right? You can you don't have to pay what somebody's asking. You negotiate. What what are some of the things people should think about in negotiation? What are the, some some of the mistakes that they well, tend five, to make? Five critical elements. Okay. So I think the the thing that most people fail to do when they go into a negotiation is to consider time. You know, we talked about time earlier, but it's important to consider time, not just in the sense of how long you plan to own a property, but how much time do you have to actually conduct a negotiation? And the rule is that, you know, he or she who needs to take action and has the time constraint is the one who loses. They're going to have the you know, the, the less 
leverage in their negotiating position. So looking at how much time you have to make your decision and how much time the other time, excuse me, the other uh, parties have is really important to understand how strong or weak you are in the negotiation. So I tell people to do that before they get started and also to, um, you know, consider what happens if you don't reach, you know, an agreement. If it's your personal residence, can you find other properties that are suitable? If it's an investment, do you have other deals you're willing to go on to? And, you know, make sure that you keep that context so that you know when to walk away and you don't get overly emotional just focusing on one option. Yeah, and I, I always like to mention to people who are doing 1031 exchanges, while it's a tremendous opportunity to avoid income tax, you only have 180 days to replace the piece that you're selling. And that sometimes puts you behind the eight ball, right, Alex, if the person you're negotiating with knows that you don't have a lot of time to close the deal and they're sort of holding out on price. Well, Richard, can't you kind of time. foresee that and maybe have the uh, the new property in well, mind? Well, you can also do due diligence well before the 180-day period, yeah. but a lot of people don't. Well, they should. It, it, is, it is a stressful situation for a lot of people, particularly people who maybe uh, aren't commercial real estate professionals if they've inherited a property or something like that. It can be a bit overwhelming to, to you know, come up with that list of properties and decide what you're going to close on. Uh, but that tax incentive is, is tremendous. And so the truth of the matter is that even if you don't get the last nickel that you wanted in the negotiation, if you're paying 6 or 7% more for the property than you'd hope to pay, mm-hmm. but you're saving 20% on taxes, then you know, people are probably going to do the deal and it's probably going to be the right decision for them. Yeah, exactly. And then I, I've got a question for Joel, but one more comment on this. And, and so how about, how about the effect of emotional attachment to real estate? Is it a good thing, a bad thing, or indifferent? It's always a bad thing. And, you know, you've got that whole uh, mentality of Jekyll and Hyde where people look at things completely differently when they're a buyer versus a seller. Mm-hmm. You know, they go in there um, as a buyer and they'll nitpick everything and say, oh, I don't like this, I don't like that. And then when they look at a property as a seller, they just think about how wonderful it is and how everybody else will overlook the problems. And, you know, that's what emotion does. It just warps your perception. And the reality is we're dealing with walls and a roof and doors. It's objective stuff. But the way people can feel about it is so different based on their attachment. And that's what causes so many problems in these negotiations. Yeah, my, my wife, Mary, loves rehabbing real estate. But I always remind her, do not get attached to anything. And then she's funny. If somebody comes by to look at something we have for sale, and they go, well, the cabinets are too dark. She's like, well, I guess I need to make the cabinets like, uh, white. And I'm like, well, if you do that, the next people are going to say the cabinets are too white. And they want right. them dark. You just don't worry about stuff. Which like let that. me ask you on a, on a 1031, can't you structure the deal, make it contingent upon the, the 180 days? So uh, if, if nothing happens, you just wind up back with your property? Or uh, is that Well, not? most buyers aren't going to go for that. Oh. They, they want to buy. Um, obviously, if you don't cut a deal within 180, you've got a taxable, taxable event. Well, everything's negotiable, right, Everything. Joel? Well, and it, <laughs> but, but Joel, certain markets, though, certain markets, yeah. you can't go in with any kind of contingency exactly. anymore. You oh, try right. to go to Orange County right. and, and buy a home, it, it, they're cash or San Francisco. And, yeah, San yeah, Francisco, and, you line up behind oh, 18 yeah. other people. But, Joel, question, we were talking about negotiation. You can use cost segregation as a tool when doing due diligence, right, selecting among deals or making decisions about how much you're simply willing to offer as a maximum, right? Uh, absolutely. We, uh, we have a number of clients that are very, very active. And it, w- whether they're looking at an existing property or doing new construction, 
will regularly want to run the cost seg numbers into their pro forma so that they know where they're going to be on the back end. And if you're bidding against someone uh, and they haven't done that and you you run your cost seg numbers, you're going to know where you are. You know whether you can ratchet up your offer mm-hmm. uh, and take them out of the deal. So it, it makes a great Very deal of sense. Yeah, so the more information you're armed with, the better. I guess that's another great negotiation tool, right, Alex? Hello? Is that Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but sp- speaking of information, I know some, some real estate investors, they, they, they're inclined to venture outside of their own geography, their town, their city, their county, whatever, to other areas. Um, how, are you prim- primarily invested in Arizona, or are you doing things other places? And what are your thoughts about venturing away from home, so to speak? Yeah, I'm, I'm focused on Arizona. I, I think that our long-term uh, growth here is tremendous. You know, we've been one of the fastest growing states in the country for decades and, and it's still probably affordable continue. unlike southern and california it, yeah you've got affordability you've got growth so to me the long-term fundamentals here are wonderful how's and, your water you know, supply though <laughs> how's your water <laughs> actually i think it's we're really better good. for water than california and no nevada are. are well you get the colorado river before we uh, yeah, it comes right. due before it comes up arizona's right? in good shape with water well, that's interesting, though. Why? Because you're because uh, of the Colorado uh, River, basically, right? We have huge aquifers too. Ah. Um, so, so even though you you know you look and you see desert, what's beneath is quite substantial. Um, so, I mean, water is a concern. We can't be frivolous with it here, but I believe that some of our neighbors are in a much more precarious position on water than we are. Huh. But let's assume you're look you're thinking it's about important. a deal that's not in your own region. What, should you go spend time there, do some due diligence? Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to do a deal in another state, I'm going to, you know, get on a plane and check out the area. So for me, that has to be compelling enough that I think that there's a good shot at making it worth that investment of time and money to go check it out. But, yeah, for me personally, and, you know, if I had a client who was looking to do something, I certainly wouldn't advise uh, buying anything sight unseen without you know, getting to understand that market. If you don't know the market well, you don't know the neighborhood, um, I can't imagine that it's worth taking that additional risk. Or at least for me, I wouldn't sleep well at night, and that's worth a lot of money to me. Yeah, and then interestingly, demographically, here in Southern California, we have a lot of older owners where they've basically saved up their retirement in their real estate, now getting out of the business 65, 70 years old. Do you have something similar going on in the multifamily or the single-family market in Arizona? We do. We have, we've had a lot of people retiring to Arizona for decades, and we certainly had a lot of people that came here to you know build businesses and work too. Mm-hmm. So there is a significant uh, generational shift happening, and you can see specific neighborhoods. I mean, the neighborhood that I live in, uh, you know, the home was owned by the prior couple for decades, mm-hmm. and a lot of young families came in. So you see that happening, and as the baby boomer generation, you know, kind of plays out. Um, their cycle and, and handing off property to the next generation. It's going to be very significant in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's certainly the case here in San Diego, Joel, right, with a mul- lot of multifamily yeah. properties, right? A lot, lot of multifamily. The, the issue with a lot of them is that they're, they're going to require a lot of work because uh, the, the stock here uh, is quite old, and uh, a lot of the things haven't been done to really keep them current. 
Yeah, and there's actually opportunities, even simple things like putting like stack washer dryers in units. You can greatly mm-hmm. increase the rent. And we have Absolutely. to. Rap. I hear music in yes, my ears. Yes, you do. We have to. Alex, rap it right really there. appreciate it. Joel yeah. as well. Thank you, Alex. Uh, Joel Greshkin, Cosseg. Always great to have you here, Alex Goldstein, best-selling uh, author, NoNonsenseBook.com. Richard, always great to see you. Justin Hart, our board operator. Thanks for making it sound terrific. Thanks to Craig Blanke and Dave Sniff here at KFB. All these podcasts are commercial-free on iWyMoney.com. We'll see you next week. Bye bye now.